Welcome, 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 and greetings from Elfie's World. Yep, you found it. This is the place where we try to bring you a little fun, pique your interest, and maybe, maybe even give you an opportunity to learn a thing or two about history. I am really glad you decided to join us today. My name is Elfie Wolfram, and I hope you enjoy our presentation. Now, today we are presenting another program from our collection of stories entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, these are true stories which well, they've often either been totally overlooked or sometimes not given quite the attention they deserve by the <clears throat> potentates of history. We'll leave it up to you to decide why they have sometimes been uh, neglected in the annals of time. Now, this is episode number 12, and it is entitled, Greatest Baseball Center Fielder Ever. So, kick back, relax, <laughs> and enjoy. If you were asked to list the greatest center field baseball players of all times, it would not be surprising if you might come up with the names of uh, Willie Mays, Ty Cobb, and Joe DiMaggio to be at or near the top of your list. But what if I were to ask you to add the name of Oscar Charleston to your list? Oh, now, now, wait a minute. Before you make any hasty comments, let's take a listen to his story. Oscar was born in Indianapolis, Indiana on October 14, 1896. The seventh of 11 children in an African-American family, he soon began to show promise playing baseball in sandlot games. But this was a period of strict segregation in baseball. So, when he finished eighth grade, he decided not to go to high school because African-Americans were barred from participating in school athletics at that time in Indianapolis. Because of his race, Oscar's opportunities in baseball were indeed limited. So, at the age of 15, he lied about his age and enlisted in the Army. He was soon sent to the Philippines, where his athletic abilities soon began to be noticed. For a season, he pitched left-handed for his regiment in the Manila League. In an all-star game, he pitched a shutout and scored the winning run. His play on the field soon became the talk of Manila. At the end of his tour of duty, Charleston returned to Indianapolis, where he married Jane Blinglock Howard, a widow from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He took his new bride with him as he began to tour as manager and player for the Harrisburg Giants. Having had no children, Oscar and his wife separated during the 1930s, but they were never divorced. For over 30 years, Oscar made his mark on the Negro Leagues. He was player and or manager for countless teams, including, count them now, 
The Indianapolis ABCs, Chicago American Giants, Detroit Stars, St. Louis Giants, Harrisburg Giants, Pittsburgh Crawfords, as well as the Toledo Crawfords, Indianapolis Crawfords, Philadelphia Stars, and the Brooklyn Brown Dodgers. Now, during this time, Charleston participated in numerous exhibition games against all-white teams in the years before Major League Baseball became integrated. He also played nine winter seasons in Cuba. Because statistics for the Negro Leagues were not meticulously kept, the numbers for Charleston's accomplishments, well, they varied. Most agreed his lifetime batting average was well over 350. Compared with the great Ted Williams, whose career batting average was 344. He also had a reported slugging average of 545, which meant that he hit a lot of doubles, triples, and home runs. In his nine seasons in the Cuban Winter League, his batting average was an amazing 361. He was described as Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, and Tris Speaker all rolled into one. But he could do a lot more than just hit. Over his career, he played every position on the field with skill. But he was especially known as an outstanding center fielder. It was said that he could cover the outfield with the swiftness of a gazelle. He also had an amazing throwing arm that could often reach home plate from the outfield on a single bounce almost every time. He is considered the greatest African-American center fielder of all time in any league. Now, his most productive season came in 1921 when he was playing for the St. Louis Giants. Now, despite one short season, he hit 15 home runs, 12 triples, 17 doubles, stole 31 bases, and hit an amazing 437 batting average. In 1933, Charleston played in the first Negro National League All-Star Game at Chicago's Comiskey Field. He also appeared in the league's 1934 and 35 All-Star Games. When Oscar decided he well, no longer wanted to be an active player, he did not give up the sport of baseball. In 1940, he began managing the Philadelphia Stars. Then, in 1944, he attracted the attention of the legendary owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, Branch Rickey, who hired him to manage the Brooklyn Brown Dodgers in the United States League. Now, his team's primary purpose was to develop African-American talent for the Brooklyn Dodgers, the first integrated baseball team in all of Major League history. When that team folded, well, Charleston continued to recruit such playing talent as Roy Campanella 
for the Brooklyn Dodgers. The integration of Major League Baseball proved to be the death knell for the Negro Leagues. In 1954, Oscar briefly came out of retirement to take the barnstorming Indianapolis Clowns on the road one last time. He died of a heart attack, or possibly a stroke, in the fall of that year. That brought to an end a brilliant career for one of baseball's greatest players ever. It wasn't until 1976 before Oscar Charleston was finally admitted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. But Oscar did have his problems. What was it that would plague his brilliant career for his entire life? Well, it seems that Oscar had a bad temper. Oh, if you treated him fairly, he was a great guy to be around. But if he felt you were being unfair to him, well, be prepared to defend yourself. Sometimes with your fists. Now, Charleston was impartial as to who he would fight. Opponents, teammates, even agents. On one occasion, he knocked out an umpire, leaving him bloodied. During a game in Cuba, he got into a brawl with an opposing player. Suddenly, a Cuban soldier started punching Oscar from the rear. <laughs> that was a big mistake on the part of that soldier. Uh, attacking Oscar from the rear merely got us attention and made him mad. When Oscar was finally pulled off that soldier, he was hauled off to a Cuban jail for brawling. He then proceeded to keep the jailer up all night by banging on the bars of his cell with his tin cup. But to Oscar's credit, he, he later did send the Cubans a letter of apology. Perhaps Charleston's most memorable confrontation, however, took place off the field. One afternoon, he was leaving the ballpark when he was confronted by a member of the Ku Klux Klan in full Klan attire, including white robe and hood. This was a time when Klan membership in this country numbered in the millions. They were so brazen, they even had huge parades down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. Now, this particular Klansman was challenging Oscar's right to play baseball in that town. Well, instead of running as expected, Oscar merely stepped forward and tore the hood off from that hooligan. It was the Klansman who turned and ran. That was the last time any member of the KKK ever tried to confront Oscar Charleston. Yes, yes, at bat or in the field, inside or outside a baseball stadium, Oscar Charleston 
was a force to be reckoned with. He led a life that can only be described as amazing and entertainingly true. Well, there you have it. That was program number 12 entitled Greatest Baseball Center Fielder Ever. It was part of our weekly series entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, each week, we're going to be presenting for your entertainment and edification a brand new audio story from our collection of Amazing But True Tales from History. Now, some of these stories come from our book entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More. Now, as a listener to this program, you are entitled to purchase autographed copies of our original book, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More, at half the publisher's list price of $13.95 or a mere $7 per book. And that includes shipping and handling. For more information, merely go to elfiesworld.com. That's A-L-F-Y-S-W-O-R-L-D, elfiesworld.com. Then click on Elfie the Writer for more information. And now, I would like to thank the following for helping to make this program possible. First, Garrett Wolfram, our technical producer and supervisor. The late Irene Wolfram principal editor and provider of Sage Council. Expert publishing for their help in editing and publishing our book. Lucas Ganza Anna Waltz for the Parlor Guitar Magic Set. Herbert Bolin for his Piano Mood Happy Four. Ninad Simic for Piano Transition. And finally, the thousands of readers who have supported our efforts from the beginning.